We pray for the churches in this city. I pray for pastors and parachurch ministers. We have such, so many good, powerful parachurch ministries. And uh, so the musical festival, we really encourage you to be part of that, um, if you will. As most of you know, we are living in uncertain times. And uh, we are beginning a study. We started it this morning in the uh, Sunday Morning Life group. We encourage you to be part of that. It's a class that meets at 945. And we are giving out uh, David Jeremiah's little chart. Well, it's not so little chart, but it's a chart on the end times and the prophecies uh, concerning the end time. And uh, I, I want to know about the end time. I want to know what's going to take place. And uh, most of us do. If you would like to come, we encourage you to come. And we'll give each family member or only one of these. In fact, we may start this here in the pulpit ministry. But I want us to, to, to gather with these groups. I want us to be part of the small groups. You know, belonging to the church is one thing. We come in, we see each other, we gather together and shake hands and we smile but to, to get close to the families is very, very important. And we have this. I'm glad we're starting the, uh, the uh, college and uh, career class. I think that is going to be just great. We have youth ministry on Wednesday night. We have children's church on Wednesday night. We have Bible study on Wednesday night. Right now we're in First and Second uh, Peter. It's a great time to learn what thus saith the Lord. And I just, there's so many things that you can be part of. And uh, we're living in the last days. We need all the word of God in us that we can get in us. And I would encourage you, I would just encourage you to make plans. Decide in your heart, I'm going to be part of some small group ministry in the church, whether it's Sunday morning at 945, whether it's Wednesday night at 7 p.m., uh, or whether it's, it's our prayer time. Listen, we, we have so many things that are going on, and I would encourage you to join us. Know me. I want to get to know you, and we can do that in the small groups in Bible studies as we join together. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, I would like you to raise your hand because Brother Chip will make sure that you have one. We want everyone to have an outline of the sermon. This is a great uh, sermon this morning, not because I'm going to preach it, but because it is God's Word. And we need to know, we need to understand, we need to study God's Word, God's Word. This morning... We're going to be talking about the barrel of Jesus. You know, Jesus has gone through the trial. He's been persecuted. He's taken out, hung on a cross. Who's going to bury him? It seemed like that this was just an afterthought. John takes the mother of Jesus and they're gone. Most of the disciples have run off because they're afraid. They're certainly not going to bury Jesus. 
the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, Phari- the Sadducees, they're certainly not going to bury him. They're going to take him probably, if he's not buried uh, respectfully, they're probably going to take him and put him out on the same heap pile where they threw Judas after he hung himself. I mean, just discard the body of the Lord and Savior, the body of the Son of God. So who's going to bury him? What's going to happen to his body? Prophecies like Isaiah talks about how that he's going to be buried with the rich. It talks about his burial. So who's going to do that? And uh, it it is, it's just a great thought. And I want you to read with me. We have it on the screen, but if you have a Bible, I'd like to turn to it. Reading from, <coughs> excuse me, the, would somebody get me a glass of water, please? Somebody at the back. There you go. There you go. Uh, or a cup of water. <coughs> uh, read with me, if you will, from St. John chapter 19. And let's begin reading with verse 38. Read with me now. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, in verse 39, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Wow, that's a lot of spices. A hundred pounds of spices. Look at verse 40. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of linen, with the spices and the custom of the Jews is to bury, and of the Jews to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. So they, they had to somewhat hurry up because it was a day coming. The night was coming, and the next day would not be the day to bury Jesus. It was preparation day. So we find that Joseph of Arimathea, when it says Joseph of Arimathea, it means that's where he was from a city of the Jews. Now, no one knows. We can speculate, but no one knows where Arimathea is. Excuse me. No one knows. But this is where he was from. And we want to read, if you will, also Mark chapter 15. Now, it's about the same thing, but it gives a a little twist on it. So read with me. Look at, look at your screen or look at your Bible. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph or Arimathea, a prominent 
council member. Understand, it's very important that you understand that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin council. Pastor, who was the Sanhedrin? Listen to this. The Sanhedrin were com- was composed of 70 members made up of the chief priest, scribes, and elders. The presiding officer of the Sanhedrin was the Jewish high priest. This council was the highest and final court of appeal for matters regarding the Mosaic law. It was the Sanhedrin council which hated Jesus so much. It was the Sanhedrin council which fought so hard to have Jesus crucified. They hated him. And Joseph, listen to this, and Nicodemus, and most of us know of Nicodemus who came to the Lord by night in Jesus in chapter uh, John, in chapter 3 of John, where Jesus talks about being born again. So Joseph and Nicodemus both belong to the Sanhedrin tribe. Let me, let me continue on here with this. Uh, who was himself? I'm going to go back to verse 43, if you will, of Mark 15. Joseph or Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. If you read that word, it means he was actively waiting for the kingdom of God. Coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Can you imagine the danger that would surround someone asking for the body of Jesus? But Joseph, which was at that time a secret, listen to this, a secret disciple. He worked up the courage. He became bold. He was a secret disciple no more. When I was a teenager, we didn't have a television. There was a time, I remember, when we didn't have electricity. Boy, does that date me. Listen at me. But we didn't have a television. My granddad, Granddad Ganey, he ran Pine Ridge Service Station towards Clinton, and so we would go down there and spend quite a bit of time down there. Well, he had an old black and white television set. So here I am, a teenager, and I enjoyed watching this television. It was amazing. We'd never seen anything like this before. We'd been to the movie picture show and seen the black and white movies, but we'd never seen the television before. I enjoyed the music. I've always been inclined to enjoy music. Well, there was a certain song that was sung by Polly Bergen. Now, you've got to be old to remember Polly Bergen. I'm tempted to ask anyone here, remember her. But I'll, 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 I'll bring us up a little bit more, but this also dates us, Doris Day. Doris Day. But Polly Bergen sung this song once... 
I had a secret love. Once I, let me tell you a little bit about the lyrics of that song. And Doris Day sung this song. But she talks about having, the song talks about having a secret love. I wonder, any of you teenagers got a real secret love that you don't let anybody know anything about? Maybe others have a secret love. But Joseph had a secret love. But you get to the course of that song, and it says this, Now, as she says, Polly Bergen and Doris Day, Now I shouted from the highest hill, even told the golden daffodils. At last my heart's an open door, and my secret love's no secret anymore. So we find Joseph of Arimathea, he boldly steps up to the plate. He boldly goes into the, uh, where Pilate was and he asks for the body of Jesus Christ. This, this is so intriguing to, to me because it seems like an afterthought. It seems like an afterthought that Who's going to bury Jesus? Everybody else is gone. I believe it was important for Joseph to belong to the Sanhedrin council so he could have an audience with Pilate without a problem. And he, he does this. Now, let, let me back up again, and I'm running over myself with these verses, but I, I want to go, if you will, to verse 44 of the 15th chapter. Pilate marveled that he, Jesus, was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, uh, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out from a rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. Father, bless the reading of your word. God, I, I ask you, to speak this to our hearts. May we not just hear these words with our ears, read these words with our eyes, but may you speak to us this great, great truth. And may we be like Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, notice your notes, is one of the few whom is mentioned in all four Gospels. I thought that also was very interesting that he was mentioned in all four Gospels. His deed of giving his own tomb, he, his own tomb, he had to be rich to have a, a, a tomb hewn out of a rock. For Jesus' burial was foretold by Isaiah and the suffering servant in chapter 53 and verse 9 of Isaiah. He made his grave with the rich. An overlooked irony is that a disciple of Jesus was found among the Sanhedrin. Not only was Joseph or Arimathea a member of the exclusive 70, Joseph was prominent, was a prominent member of the council. After Jesus' death, Joseph asked Pilate for the body. Today I want to look at Joseph's, first of all, his character. 
Second of all, his concealment. And thirdly, and the most important, I believe, is his courage. His character, his concealment, and his courage. Notice, first of all, Joseph's character. He was a man of influence. As I said, he, this influence enabled Joseph to go right into the very uh, place where Pilate was and have an audience with him and said, I want the body of Jesus. Pilate said, he's not dead. Oh, yes, he is. You see, when the three were, were crucified, the two thieves on each side and Jesus in the middle, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, had come along and broken the legs of those crucified. When they got to the, 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 the two uh, criminals, they were not dead. So they broke their legs. And of course, breaking the legs, they would, they would die because they couldn't push up and keep from being suffocated. That's the reason they broke their legs. But then when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. And the Bible had prophesied that they wouldn't break a bone in his body. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He knows what he's doing. So they took the spear, of course, and thrust it in the side of Jesus. And out came bloody water and blood. And that let them know that he was dead because it or death had already happened. Jesus. Was, and so Pilate said, is he so soon dead? Yeah, we didn't break his legs. He was already dead. And so uh, Joseph was a man of influence. Not only that, he was a prominent Sanhedrin member. He was a good man. Look at Luke 23, 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. Now we just read where his, his relationship with Jesus, his testimony of knowing this man named Jesus, he kept silent. He didn't let anybody know it. I've read so many commentaries about Joseph. I just read and read, and so many of them said he was a coward. So many of them said he was not even a believer because he kept his mouth shut when it came to saying anything about God. But if you really study it, he was a powerful man. He was a good and just man. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57 says, And when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's no question in my mind that Joseph was a believer. Joseph was a believer a disciple of Christ. He waited for the kingdom of God. And uh, I just read that into you here in number six. He had not consented to their decision and action. Notice Luke 23 and 51. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. 
Now, some believe that he was not there. They made that decision. Some believe that Nicodemus was not in that meeting when they made a decision to have Jesus crucified. Because they knew they would not agree to it. Now, whether, whether they were there or not in that meeting, uh, we know this. They didn't consent to it. They didn't agree with it. They did not want Jesus Christ crucified. They stood up and they did not want him. So he had not consented to their decision and action to crucify Jesus. Number two, not only do we notice the character of Joseph, but we notice the concealment of Joseph. Uh, he did not identify Jesus for several reasons. He did not identify himself with Jesus for several reasons. Notice, if you will, while Joseph was a believer, he kept his faith a secret. We've already read that in John. He kept his faith a secret. Number two, thank God for public Christians, but not all heroes of faith of the faith are known to the public. Now that sort of messes with your mind. Brother Don, if he was a believer, the Bible says if you're ashamed of me before people, I'll be ashamed of you. Over and over again, it talks about you and I letting our light shine and us professing and telling about our relationship. But listen, in times of persecution, secret believers appear within the establishment as Joseph and Nicodemus did. Some of you, where you work, you're not allowed to talk about religion. If you're a teacher, if you stood up, and gave a testimony for Jesus Christ, they probably would censor you, counsel with you, probably even fire you. In, 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 in this day and age, it is important to understand there are times when to shut up and then there are times when to speak up. Now, I'm not encouraging any of us to be a silent believer. Because I believe we need to let our testimony be certainly what it is. But in Muslim countries, in overbearing regimes, there are times when it's best to keep your mouth shut or you may lose your head. Okay? And many of them do. There has never been an occasion like there is today where there, have been, where there are so many martyrs for Jesus Christ. And they speak up. They speak up. You find secret believers in militant communist governments and in oppressive religious regimes. If you're in some countries, they'll ask you, are you a Christian? If you say yes, they will kill you right there on the spot. Many are lined up, and we've heard of these, in a lot of the majorly Muslim countries, and they're shot. Many are lined up, and if they are Christians and confess that they're Christians, their heads are cut off. Now, you say, Brother Don, when should we speak up? Well, God can lead you into that, and God can know 
where you can be a testimony if you will know when to hush and when to open your mouth. Professors today in our universities, there's no way they could stand up and say anything about Jesus Christ. Most universities and colleges are so liberal. Yes, there are opportunities, and God will open those doors. And when those doors are open, that's when you walk in. Listen to this. While Jezebel, look at number four under number three. Look at it with me. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, that Obadiah, Obadiah had secretly hidden a hundred prophets in two cages. I'm, I'm two caves, I'm sorry. Wow. I was thinking my cages where I had yesterday. I got squirrels that, that I, I don't like squirrels. Man, squirrels and me, we have a real problem. So I have this long cage. And I do everything I can to keep those squirrels out of my bird feeders. But squirrels are awful, awful smart, and they're determined. They're determined. So what I do is I get out this cage. I've got five. There's five now. They were down to nothing. I got, them all, I got rid of all of my squirrels. But now there's five back, and they're getting them in my bird feeder. I've, I've got every caution to keep them out of that. So I set this cage, and yesterday I caught a squirrel. I catch them all. I bring them down to the church and turn them loose and try to get them saved. I do bring them to the church and turn them loose. But it was not a cage. It was a cave. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Now this is not the same Obadiah that wrote the book of Obadiah. It was a prophet that lived during the time of Jezebel. And as most of you know, this wicked, wicked queen, she had prophets killed. So secretly, a prophet by the name of Obadiah took 50 and put them in this cave, took another 50 and put them in this cave, and he fed them bread and water. He kept these prophets alive. And you said they should have been out preaching. They should have been out prophesying. No, they would have lost their lives and it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. It was right at that time to be a silent disciple of God. Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz. some of you know Lou Holtz or knew of or know of. He's still alive. Know of Lou Holtz. Listen to what he says. Some people don't dare to wave a palm branch when Jesus passes by. But on the inside, they are shouting Hosanna to the highest. Isn't that great? When, when, we're, when we're around certain people, not because of fear, not because we can't testify of Jesus, but because we know now's a good time to be quiet, but inside we are bubbling over. So inside we want to tell somebody, certainly, about Jesus Christ. Number one, Joseph's character. Number two, his concealment. And number three, notice what we have. Joseph's character. They came out, I like that, for Jesus. 
He was a silent disciple. Very few times did he speak up in the Sanhedrin council. But when he saw Jesus Christ crucified, when he saw our Lord on the cross, when he saw the cross of Calvary, it spurred something in him. It woke something up in him. And it caused him now to be bold and to be brave and said, if I die, I die. I'm going to get the body of Jesus. They're not going to throw my Lord's body out on the heap pile, but I'm going to take it. Something, the cross made a difference. There's something about the cross. Listen to me. There's something about the cross that makes a difference in every man and every woman's life. That's the reason that I believe it is so important for us to take communion. Every Friday night we have prayer. You're invited. Every Friday night we take communion. And it takes us right to the cross of Jesus. Once a month here, I think it's once a month, uh, we have communion here in the auditorium. What it does, it takes us to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is no way that you and I can look on this cross, can look on the suffering of Jesus Christ, can look on the price that was paid for my and your sins, to look on the benefits of a man dying, and not first of all appreciate it, not first of all uh, uh, speak up and say, I've got to tell people about this man. When, Jesus, when Joseph saw Jesus down on the cross, his priorities changed. He was no longer a secret disciple. And I want us, when I finish here and we all gather our books and our little pamphlets or whatever, or we speak our last words and we walk out these doors, I want this church, I want Bethel to say, we're, <coughs> excuse me, no longer a secret disciple. Say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. Thank you. I do get excited over this because I'm glad, you know, me coming this morning and hearing Ann Fisher sing that song about my Savior was worth coming to church. She's never sung any more beautiful than she did this morning, and that song touched my spirit. And when I get to thinking about my Savior, I get to thinking about what he's done for me. I want to tell somebody else about Jesus. And there's hardly a day that goes by, if a day goes by, that I don't find somebody that the door don't open that I can tell about Jesus Christ. There's somebody you can tell about Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a waiter, a waitress. Maybe it's a, another student in school. Maybe it's your coworker. How about your coworker? Does she or he know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Does she and he know that, that he, he loves them and cares for them, that you love them and care for them? Most of you have heard this story at least once. You've probably heard it more than once. Some of you 
have never heard this story. I was, I graduated from high school in 1959. I moved to Durham. I was following Carol. Uh, I moved to Durham and I got a job. And on this job, there was a coworker. He and I worked very closely together. I mean, in proximity, physically. We worked, we did our jobs together. We did our jobs together. Norman was, his attitude was not good. He's, he was bitter and he was not nice to me. Norman was sort of a big fella. And, uh, we'd work together and he would come in, he'd never say anything. He would give me often, often, often the silent treatment. And he would get angry at me. He would get so mad at me. And I still wanted to love him and show him the love of Jesus Christ. We worked for years together. And I would, at times, get an opportunity to witness to Norman Canada. Well, God called me to preach, and I left that job. And about 18 years later, I got a phone call. By the way, one, one day Norman told me he could do this. He said, I'm going to take you to the back and I'm going to mop up the floor with you. He was so mad at me and he could have done it too, but he never did. About 18 years later, I received a phone call and the voice on the other end was Norman Canada. And he said to me, Pastor, can I talk to you? Will you come to my house? I'm going to talk to you. I said, I'd be glad to talk to you, Norman. I went to his house, and I sat next to his bed. He was in the bed. And he said, Brother Don, he was a Christian at that time. He had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Brother Don, I'm dying with cancer, and I want you to preach my funeral. But we sat, and we talked for a while, but I told him, I said, Norman, I'll be glad to preach your funeral. So he, he did. He passed away. And I had the privilege of preaching the man's funeral that I believe had made things right with God. I, I don't know what changed Norman. It could have been something I said. I hope it was my life that I lived before him. But something changed him from the old man to the new man. Something changed him from bitterness. You know what, you know what it was then? He was a very humble man. A very humble man. And so we conducted his, uh, his funeral and consoled his wife and his children. He had small children. About 10 years later, uh, this was back in, before 1997, because I, we worshiped in the fellowship hall, and I was doing some things in the fellowship hall, and the door opened, and a young man came in. Came in. And he walked up to me, and he stuck his hand in, and he said, you don't know who I am, I don't think. I said, no, I do not recognize you. He said, I'm the son of Norman Canada. He lived in another state. He said, I want you to know something. God's called me to preach the gospel. And he said, I want to thank you for what you did for my dad. So your coworker, you never know when that they're going to receive. You never know when God is going to touch their life. I believe with all of my heart that it will take courage and stop being a silent disciple. 
Focus on the cross and what Jesus Christ did for us. If we can ever really get a real glimpse of that cross, if we can ever really get a real glimpse of the suffering, of the price that Jesus Christ paid on that cross, it will revolution our lives. It will revolution our testimonies. And it will revolutionize people around us. It will challenge us to be like Joseph or Arimathea. When Joseph saw Jesus on the cross, as Joseph watched Jesus die that day, he made a decision, a decision. I trust today. Most of us, if probably if not all of us, are boarding in. I don't know. But most of us are believers here today. I hope, young and old alike, I hope we'll make a decision this morning that we will not be a silent disciple anymore. It's a good place to clap. Come on. One of the things, I wrote this down at the bottom of my sheet of paper. One of the things most lacking in America today is moral courage. The courage to do right, even if you have to stand alone. May we step out and be counted. May we take a bold stand for Jesus. When Jesus was dead, Joseph went boldly to Pilate. Joseph and Nicodemus carefully, I love this, I love this. When, when, when Jesus was dead and they took him down, can you imagine the blood that was on the body of Jesus? Can you imagine how gory it was? But I want you to notice these two rich men, Joseph and Nicodemus. They carefully, carefully, took Jesus' body down. They carefully and tenderly cleaned his body. They carefully and tenderly wrapped his body in strips, round and round. When they finished, and they put the spices and the alloys in there, and the smell, beautiful, lovingly wrapped his body and loved him. The two men that was part of the Sanhedrin council. The two men at one time Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. So nobody would know it. Joseph would be silent in that council except at times. They wrapped his body in those stripes. And when they laid him in Joseph's own tomb. When they laid him in that tomb. My wife and I have looked in that tomb. Guess what? He ain't there. He ain't there. They gently laid him there. And he was like a mummy laying in that tomb. I'd hate to end the sermon here. Because it doesn't end here. Because on the third day, oh, hallelujah. I said on the third day, something wonderful happened. I, I kind of like to think that the archangels, Gabriel, 
and uh, Michael, they came down and rolled that stone away. And Jesus never disturbed that wrapping. <laughs> it was still there. How did he get out? They didn't roll that stone away so Jesus could get out. They rolled that stone away so you and I could look in. And I'm so thankful that he did rise again. And that he lives today. And these men, Joseph and Nicodemus, they go down in history. You never hear from them again. They'll go down in history as the two men that remained there, the two men that had the boldness and the courage to go to Pilate. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Pilate's feelings? He had gone through hours and days of back and forth with the Sanhedrin and the people crying out, crucifying him. And he said, I find no fault in him. And I'm so tired of hearing about this Jesus. He watched, washed his hands of it. Can you imagine them saying, okay, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus again. He said, oh, your head. I'm not going to. No. No. They asked him, They were not afraid any longer. It cost them something. This cross. I'm going to take just another moment. This cross. Fanny Crosby wrote it this way. Jesus keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a heaving, healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on my pride. The cross, it awakened, listen, listen, the cross awakened everything in Joseph that had been quiet. It awakened everything and where there was where there was fear and timidity, faith and boldness sprung into that life. And that's what I pray for today, that God would spring into our lives, that we would be a testimony for the for the cross and, and, and the and the love of Jesus Christ, and we would be bold. And when it's the right time. Doesn't matter who it is, what it is. If God says speak, you speak up for Jesus. Whether it's in high school, whether it's in college or universities, whether it's in the armed forces, whether it's on your job with coworkers, or maybe it's right in church. Maybe there's a Norman Canada where you work. Maybe there's one that's lost and you say, oh, he or she is really, they have a terrible attitude and they treat me so bad. Don't let the way they treat you influence you when it comes to the leadership of the Spirit of God. Let him lead you. Father, we love you today. Father, there's no way, there's no way I, I, I can... 
be able to tell this like I really feel it in my heart. How important it is to shout it from the highest hill. How important it is, though our our love for Jesus Christ is a secret love. May, dear God, we decide this morning, Lord, you're going to give me an opportunity. In fact, you're going to give me a number of opportunities this week to tell somebody about you. Help me to take that step. Help me to be bold. Help me, dear God, to step forth and tell someone about Jesus Christ. Maybe, may we be the witness, may we be the witness that we should be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In just a moment, we're going to have a song. And then we're going to challenge all of us to come to the altar. I hope you'll come. And no matter what you need, listen, maybe you've never met this man, Jesus. Or maybe you've heard about him, but you've never accepted him into your heart. Maybe you look at the cross differently. Maybe it's offensive. And maybe you see the crosses in, on people that say, hang them around their neck. And on that cross is Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is no longer on that cross. It's an empty cross. We're going to sing a song. This moment we're going to come and pray.